The following is a special presentation of Alpha Media. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines, in-depth interviews on topics of concern here in Portland and the Northwest. Now, here's your host, Brett Recamp. All right, thank you very much, and welcome everyone. You have the 286th edition of Beyond the Headlines, a behind-the-scenes look at some of the stories making news here in the Pacific Northwest as we get on into the month of September 2019 on FM News 101. A lot to get to this week, and we start with this new school year. It's well underway, and for the Tigard-Tualatin School District, it's bringing a lot of changes. Earlier this week, as school was opening up, KXL's Rosemary Reynolds sat down with Tigard-Tualatin Superintendent Sue Riki smith who oversees 16 schools and nearly 13,000 students. How excited are you about this new school year? Um, You know, every year it is, my husband can always tell you without looking at a calendar when the first day of school is because I don't sleep well the night before because I'm so excited and amped up. Um, This is, I'm coming up on my 20th year in education and every year I'm just as excited as the last because of all the great things that I know that are going to happen for kids. What are some of those things? Well, um, I think this year specifically, a lot of our children are going to continue to walk into uh, the classroom, and they're going to be able to see that they all now have uh, an advice that is directly for them. So either a Chromebook or an iPad or some other type of of device, and this was as a result of the generosity from our 2016 bond um, that um, the voters uh, voted in, and technology was part of that. So now we are fully one-to-one across every student in every classroom. And how can that change students' learning lives, having that capability now? Well, what it does is it puts a tool. It, it certainly is not a substitute for, for the teacher and the skill and the care that they bring to the classroom. But it, it, it augments the student's experience. Um, we are no longer in the days where a child has to re- uh, memorize and, by rote, remember facts because they have it right at their fingertips. It takes them an instant to, to Google that answer. But what it does do because of that capability, it allows a student now to go deeper and and to engage their higher uh, functioning and cognitive abilities to solve bigger problems um, that are developmentally appropriate for them at whatever age uh, we're, we're teaching them. But to be able to have that computer, uh, to have that iPad, uh, and to use it as a tool to help them you know, model, to help them think about problems differently, um, to think about them from multiple perspectives, it's a great gift. And we really are grateful to uh, the voters for, for that gift. Now, you've had some remodels, some different changes to schools. Tell me about some of the schools that have un- undergone or are still in the process of, of changing. Yeah, right. I, and I really want to say, you know, that it, it's really because of the forethought and the vision um, of our current school board and, and members, um, as well as former superintendents, uh, Superintendent Ernie Brown, really thinking through what, you know, are the facilities of the future that we want to teach our children in and how do we do that in the midst of, you know, living in a live building. And so we, first and foremost, I want to say thank you to the voters for supporting that vision. Second piece is to say thank you for living with our dust while while we, while we work through um, all the various projects. Um, today, you'll be part of watching us do a ribbon cutting at one of the many safety and security vestibules that we are putting into our schools. Here at Byram Elementary, uh, we completed a series at Byram, at Durham Elementary, and at Mary Woodward. Last year, uh, we, did, we finished one at Bridgeport and at Fowler. Um, and we will also have one that will open up both at Tigard High School as well as Tualatin High School as part of their bond work. Uh, Tualatin will be completed this year. 
Tiger will move into phase two, um, and so again, we appreciate uh, the dust. We will also today do a ribbon cutting on a brand new Templeton Elementary School, uh, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, Beautiful use of light, wonderful spaces for instruction, multiple areas for students to stretch and to learn and to think differently, um, to collaborate in small groups where teacher can watch, as well as whole class instruction, Um, but just beautiful spaces overall. Um, And we're not done yet. We have a little bit more construction to do, but I believe that the Tiger Twalton community will see nothing but beautiful spaces for our children, um, no matter where they go, um, as, as we continue to do this work. Has the district grown a lot? I know you have 12,500 kids now. Yes. Um, is it growing every year still? We are. We still continue to see some slow growth. Part of that is impacted by the um, availability of affordable housing, uh, but it, we take a look at our enrollments every year, and this year, uh, where last year we had a dip in enrollment this year we are seeing more students coming in but we'll know for sure here within the next 10 days as we do our our seat count to make sure that those students are coming regularly and uh, are part of our community what else do you want to tell me you know, I just think, um, again, people uh, really um, need to know what a special place Tiger Tualatin is. I'm sure every superintendent says that, um, and I know that there are great uh, schools across um, and districts across the state. We're very excited this year uh, relative to the Student Success Act and the $2 billion that the legislature has voted uh, in favor of supporting um, work that we do within our, our district. We will be reaching out, um, and there is a great deal of information that is currently on our website uh, about how the community can be a part of that process. We want community members to come in and tell us what we should do with our share of that $2 billion. Uh, specifically, we have four areas that we'll be looking at. Uh, class size is one. Social emotional learning and mental health services is another. Increasing instructional time during the day or during the school year. And then whole child instruction. How can we put more uh, electives and specials uh, into our schools so students can get back to a whole child, uh, well-rounded education. Um, And given the way in which this community has supported us through levy option, through the bond, through the PTOs, through the foundation, um, all of these ways, I know that there will be willing hands that want to come in and help us decide where to put those dollars. And we're banking on your input. We need your help to do that. There is an optimistic and thankful Tiger Tualatin Superintendent Sue Ricky Smith. Our thanks to her and to Rosemary. Good luck to all the school teachers, administrators, and students, all over our area. We know Hurricane Dorian is continuing to do damage, and that means not just to property or people, but also to pets. I'm a pet lover, that's for sure. We have a dog in our house, and the Oregon Humane Society opened its doors earlier this week to some pets affected by this monster storm. KXL's Jim Ferretti spoke with Laura Klink from the Oregon Humane Society early Thursday morning. We will be getting 75 animals that are coming to us through a partnership with the Humane Society of the United States, and this is all in response to to Hurricane Dorian. And what happens a lot in these disasters is kind of a domino effect, where if we can move animals out of one area and free up space kind of closer to the disaster zone, those animals either in shelters or that are displaced by the storm can be directly helped. So the animals that the Oregon Humane Society is receiving uh, later this morning are actually from Oklahoma, from a hub that the Humane Society of the United States operates there. So again, by clearing out those animals from that hub, HSUS is able to free up some resources and space to be able to help any animals uh, from the southeast that might need a place to go. Can you talk to me about the 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 feelings that these animals have, or or uh, 
uh, just the experience they have as they travel across the country on an airplane. You know, these guys are actually coming um, uh by uh, ground transportation. So, uh, again, we work with the Humane Society of the United States. They have coordinated all of the transportation. They've got three drivers who are driving continuously in the vehicles. There is a vet tech that is between the two vehicles. We've got dogs in one vehicle and cats in another vehicle. They left Tulsa, Oklahoma on Wednesday night at 6 p.m. So they are driving straight through. The animals are all getting great care as they make their way here. And, you know, we're just excited to do our part to be able to help with this hurricane response. Does OHS have room for all these animals? You know, we uh, we get very creative when these uh, disasters come up because we know that it's important to do our part to to help pets in need, even if that's an indirect assist, which we're kind of doing in this in this particular case. So, you know, we are very fortunate to live in a great community where people um, are have embraced adoption. We do a lot of adoptions at the Oregon Humane Society, and that enables us to step in and help during situations like this. And lastly, I was going to ask, what can people do? You know, the best thing that people can do is come adopt from the Oregon Humane Society or any other local shelter. The more that people in our community embrace adoption, the more we're able to step up and help when these unexpected things happen, especially a disaster. We do love our Oregon Humane Society and local shelters. Please do feel free to give them a shout if you're interested in adopting one of the displaced animals from Hurricane Dorian or any of the many dogs and cats they have there. Ready to join your family at any time. Thanks again to Laura Klink and Jim for that interview. Time now for a very cool story about how some local kids got surprised with some new bikes. KXL's Justin McDonald speaking earlier this week with Diana Ralston with the group Treads and Trails. They held a very unique event that ended with 75 first and second graders getting their own new bikes and helmets. Here is the bulk of Jeff and Diana's conversation before the event in Beaverton and secret location of the giveaway for the bikes. We are a national nonprofit, but we're based in Colorado. We do work all over the country, and tonight we're doing a bike build um, at the craft poorhouse in Portland and tomorrow we're donating those bicycles that the community is helping build to ah. first and second graders. So so what you do is you, you get people to build bikes and then you donate them to kids who need bikes. We do. So we actually have a pretty broad um, program um, focus. We've got four different program areas, but our tagline, the thing that sort of ties everything together is called, we just call it people power do-goodery. And that's that sentiment that everybody has the ability to give back and do good. And so we rally communities to come together to help with things like these, the bike build tonight. We also do skateboard builds. We do beach and river cleanups. Um, and we work with a bunch of touring musicians to raise oh. funds to donate instruments as well. Oh, what kind of, uh, what, what musicians? Do we, anybody we know? Or? Um, gosh, you know, we have a couple Grammy award winning bands that are in the bluegrass genre. We've got infamous string dusters and the steep Canyon Rangers. Yeah. Then we have um, a, a jam trunk band called Sun Squabby. We've got... Um, Only a hipster from Portland would know that. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> I know that one. Um, I, so my other question is, so now tell me a little bit about the event that's happening. We typically try to keep these bike donations a surprise. So the faculty is aware of them, but the students 
are not. And we travel around with a Treads and Trails ambassador. Treads and Trails is the name of the candy program that does these bike and skateboard builds and donations. And this week we have Jeff Lenoski with us. He's a Treads and Trails ambassador. And so he goes into the schools with us and he does a really cool educational and inspirational um, demonstration for the kids. Trails, uh, about what's it called? Treads and Trails? Treads and Trails, and that's where we do the bike builds and the skateboard builds and donations. Um, and we've donated uh, over 2,900 bicycles across the country since we started doing this program. Our nonprofit actually turned six years old this month, um, and we started doing the bike program about three and a half years ago. Wow. So how many bikes have you donated, do you think? We're after tomorrow's donation, we'll be at 2,900 something. Wow, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That's yeah, some we're serious do-goodery it. on your part. That is definitely some ser- serious do-goodery, but it's, you know, it's not just us. I mean, we're, we're rallying other people in their communities to come and do it. So we're hoping to get a really good turnout tonight to build those bikes. And then we also invite the volunteers to come to the donation as well, because while it feels great to actually, you know, roll up your sleeves and build the bikes, the true special tug at your heartstrings moments come when you, when the kids realize they're all going home with brand new bikes and brand new helmets. So you're going to give away 75 new bikes and helmets for first and second graders, and we're not going to say where because it's supposed to be a surprise. Exactly. In case any of the kids are listeners, we don't want them to know ahead of time. The two folks that are going to be there, Jeff Lenoski, now he... He's like a big-time biker guy, isn't he? He is a huge, um, yeah, he's, he's a pretty big stud in the, in the mountain bike community. He actually holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the um, highest bunny hop. He's a three-time national trials uh, championship rider. He's got crazy followers on YouTube, and he's just a great guy, and we're, we're um, lucky that he likes working with Candade, and um, we do a lot with him all around the country. Well, this sounds like a great uh, event, and, and, then, and then what? What's next after this one? Um, we have some in Connecticut, and we have some in New Jersey. We have a lot of bike builds and donations this fall all across the country. We also do, like I said, river cleanups and skateboard builds and donations. And then those bands that we work with, we're doing <laughs> instrument donations all over the country as well. So, um, you know, if people want to find out more or get involved, they can always check us out on the web, which is just www.cand. AID.org. Sounds like a wonderful program, and I know for a fact that that giveaway, which took place after this interview, was very special. Thanks again to Justin and to Diana Ralston with Treads and Trails. You're listening to the 286th edition of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Brett Recamp. Part of the ceiling in the Grand Ballroom of the Portland Art Museum collapsed earlier this week. It's kind of a scary thing. KXL's Rosemary Reynolds went over there to find out what happened. From Gareth Nevitt, CFO for the Art Museum. Well, the first we knew about it uh, was at about 11 o'clock in the morning when a large part of the ceiling was detached and came down. Um, Did you hear it? uh, I didn't personally hear it. Uh, We did have uh, a group of uh, staff who were about to do a tour for a potential rental client. Uh, Luckily, they had not started, and so there was nobody inside and nobody was hurt, which we were very thankful for. So what was the damage like? What what happened? Can you describe it a little bit? Sure. So the room has a decorative ceiling uh, of wooden panels, and approximately a third of that ceiling became detached and came down. 
Do you know why? We don't right now. So we have contractors and structural engineers who are working on it. They're crawling all over it. They've sealed the space off. They have determined that it's not a structural problem, so the rest of the building is perfectly safe. How old is this building, do you know? It was built in 1926, and uh, it's been in use since then for various uh, functions. It was originally a Masonic temple, and the museum has owned it since the mid-90s. And so through the years, it's had various remodels and things done to it, correct? That's right. It was completely remodeled in 2005, uh, and upgraded and seismically retrofitted and all that kind of work was done at that time, yeah. So any hint from them as to what it could have been? Could it be water? Could it be anything like that? Well, we know it's not water damage. Um, it is, uh, as I said, just the decorative elements of the ceiling that have basically become detached and fallen off. Why that happened, we don't know yet. Okay. Um, what else should I ask you about that? I, I don't really have much more to add. Do you, oh, do you know how much damage was done in terms of dollars and cents? No, it's too early to have an estimate for that right now. Uh, we've obviously contacted our insurers, and um, they'll be involved going forward. And um, when's the next scheduled event for in there? Uh, it's actually this evening. Um, so we've been working very hard with all of our rental event clients in the immediate future to help them um, either um, relocate within the museum or to find alternative um, spaces. Okay. So, so what was supposed to be in there tonight won't be in there tonight? Uh, well, it won't be in that room. There are two ballrooms in the building, and so we have a, another slightly smaller ballroom. So we're working with the event, which is uh, Volunteers of America, uh, which is an, uh, an event that we've been happy to support over the years. And so we are making all the efforts we can to help them relocate within the museum. And Rosemary says during her visit, there were still some dangling decorative hollow cross beams hanging from the ceiling. Sounds like they're still busy repairing the ceiling of the Portland Art Museum. Our thanks once again to Rosemary and to CFO Gareth Nevitt. This is Rip City and former Portland Trailblazer president Harry Glickman was honored this week at the Basketball Hall of Fame. Glickman was presented with the Lifetime Achievement Award. He calls it the biggest award he's ever received. Of course, Glickman helped bring the Blazers here to Portland when the NBA expanded in 1970 and was the team's general manager and president until he retired in 1987. Here is the great Harry Glickman with KXL's Jim Ferretti. Well, first of all, congrats on your award. Can you tell me how big of an honor this is for you? Well, I've been fortunate to receive several, but this is the biggest of them all. It's I'm... quite an honor to be in a, uh uh, nominated and elected to the same uh, group that includes people such as Red Auerbach and Johnny Wooden. I, I feel very, very honored about that. I am sure you have heard this before, but you are considered the father of professional sports <laughs> in Oregon. How do you feel that you impacted the world of sports in Oregon and Portland? Well, we put Portland into the major league of professional sports which is where I think they belong. I think they can very easily handle another major league professional sport in either baseball or hockey, and I hope it happens. Looking back on your time as general manager and president of the Blazers, other than the world championship, is there a moment that stands out to you more than others? Well, there are quite a few moments that stand out. Uh, our first uh, 
victory over what was then the world champion New York Knicks was our first capacity crowd at Memorial Coliseum. That stands out. There were quite a few others. As as you look at this team today and the leadership of Damian Lillard and others, how far can this team go? Well, I think they need one more really good player. There are a lot of good teams in the NBA now. There are no really great ones, great ones out of the uh, group that had Magic and Worthy and Shabar all at once. They've got every team has a couple of really good players. There are a lot of good teams. One more good player, I think Portland could go all the way. They might even do it with the group that they have right now. They had a very successful season last year. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Glickman, are you proud of what has been built in Portland? Very proud of it. Uh, now I think we got to go to the next level with another a new arena and an additional franchise and professional sports. Do you have a speech prepared for tomorrow night? Uh, no, nothing. Uh, it's not going to be a very long induction, anyhow. And I've prepared. I can't be there in person, unfortunately. So we prepared something on tape. It's about a two-minute interview. Very good. I'm happy to hear that. Do you have any final messages that you'd like to tell the fans of Portland about uh, about anything that you want to talk about? Well, the fans of Portland made all this possible. So wherever I go and whenever I go, I thank them for making it all possible. People like you, Jim, at KSL. Mr. Glickman, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Very nice. Thanks to Jim, and huge congrats and thanks to Harry Glickman, the man behind our original beloved Portland Trailblazers. Brace yourselves, moviegoers. The movie It, uh, based on Stephen King's 1986 novel, became the highest-grossing horror film of all time in 2017. So how will the sequel do? KXL's Rebecca Marshall had a chance to talk about it with Gray Drake, Ms. Movie Phone from MoviePhone.com. Okay, Gray, let's set the scene. You lied. And I died. See, you lied and I died. What is the plot of Chapter 2? Oh, boy. It's just kids screaming and clowns killing. And <laughs> oh, This is 27 years after the events of the first movie where the Losers Club, then children, thought that they had killed Pennywise, the evil clown. And in this movie, a grown-up Losers Club, which includes Jessica Chastain and Bill Hader and James McAvoy, realize that Pennywise isn't gone. He's come back, and they have to stop him. So everybody goes back to Derry, Maine, and oh, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't go great. It's a lot of screaming, and did I say scary clowns? It's really horrible. <laughs> this, this is actually for everybody that loved the first one. Uh, it Chapter 2 is very consistent. It is scary. It has tension. This is uh, this has more humor than the first one, but man, I'll tell you, it's long, but will keep you on the edge of your seat. It, it, it's no, it is no joke. Got it. And I hear Bill Hader was actually pretty good. His acting was really off the charts. Was it good? He is. He, he's he's fantastic. He's funny, but he can do drama, 
and uh, he, he's proven it in smaller movies in the past. This is his first big screen movie, I think, that proves it, but he's fantastic, and so is everybody else. So if you've seen the first movie... Uh, and you loved it, you're going to really enjoy this one. You should definitely make sure you're not going into this one cold, though. Like, don't yeah. just walk into this movie and say, I want, you want to see a scary clown, because it's not going to make too much sense. And, this, and it's also long, three hours. Wow. And they say it's expected to make like $100 million. Do you think that'll be the case, or is that uh, ambitious? I, no, I do think so. Uh, this, this was The first movie was one of the most successful R-rated scary movies ever, and I think everybody's going to show up for this one. It's the only thing coming out this weekend because no one wanted to go up against it. It. <laughs> it. Got it. It. All right. Gray Drake is Ms. Movie Phone from MoviePhone.com. Talk to you next week. All righty. I don't know about you, but I'm not exactly up for that new It, that It sequel. But thanks to Rebecca and to Gray Drake, Ms. Movie Phone from MoviePhone.com. Finally this week, singer and actress Jordan Sparks was the youngest winner ever on American Idol. She's rocked Broadway as well. But what you may not know is her stepsister, Brie, was born with sickle cell and just passed away not long ago. Millions globally have the disease that causes bad circulation of blood cells, vein blockages, and immense pain. And now, Jordan is part of a new team raising awareness in hopes to inspire others to do the same. KXL's Jacob Dean caught up with Jordan and her doctor earlier this week. I'll just go ahead and let you hear this whole call. Jordan and Dr. Andamariam, say hi to Jacob in Portland. Hi, Jacob. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for a couple minutes of your time. Such an honor to get to talk with you. Jordan, tell us why you got involved in this fight and how it's kind of impacting your life. Oh, well, it's it's very personal to me. I have my own um, experience with sickle cell in my life. My stepsister, Bree, um, dealt with it her entire life, and uh, unfortunately she succumbed to the disease about a year and a half ago. And before I was involved with Generation S, I was already trying to find different ways to advocate and to spread awareness for the disease along with the rest of my family and um, but I had never been a part of something as as big as this for for sickle cell disease. And she wanted to be the face of uh, sickle cell and be an advocate. And so I, I I do this in honor of her and my stepdad James. And I I hope that um, they're looking down and that they're proud. What would be the most important important thing you want uh, listeners and fans to know? Well, there's there's a few things. Um, one being everybody should know their uh, sickle cell trait status. Um, if you carry the trait, you can pass it down to your, your children who could actually have the disease. Um, and a lot of people don't know that they carry the trait. So to just know what your status is, just a simple blood test, right, Dr. Yes. Anamari? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Make sure I'm saying the right thing. Um, it's just a simple blood test. You can go to your doctor and ask your doctor about it, and you can get that done. Um, as well as, you know, just I, I really think that it's important that we have these conversations. Sometimes they can be uncomfortable, you know, the fear of the unknown, not knowing what something is, and people don't want to talk about it. Um, but I do think that it's, it's very important to have these conversations and to keep this, this lane of dialogue open, not only for people who don't know what sickle cell is, but also for those that actually have sickle cell disease, um, because they can feel quite isolated and alone sometimes, especially because you can't tell that somebody has sickle cell disease just by looking at them. Um, so they can feel quite uh, by themselves all the time and, and a little misunderstood. And I think if we keep these lanes of dialogue open, it'll help them feel like they have a safe space. Um, and they can feel courageous to tell their own stories as well. 
And Jordan, last question. Like you say, you know, you got a lot of fans, a lot of folks look up to you, and, and when celebrities and like people in power like yourself get involved in these kinds of things, it can help motivate others to do the same. Jordan, how does sure. it f- how does it feel to be that inspiration for others? Oh my gosh, <laughs> um, that's a good question. I sometimes, if I think about it too deeply, I get really emotional because I mean, who am I to? you know, be able to change somebody's life like that or to inspire somebody like that. I just wanted to sing, you know, so to be able to have this kind of reach is, it's a really huge responsibility, but at the same time, I don't take it lightly. Um, And I appreciate you saying that. That's really, really sweet. But anybody who needs uh, more information on on this stuff and and sickle cell disease, they can go to joingenes.com. There's an opportunity for them to still share their story if they'd like to, as well as information. And then they can also go to sicklecelldisease.org. Um, for any research or anything else that they would like to look up. And I know I'm almost out of time. Uh, Dr. Andy Mariam, what is it that you want listeners to know? And maybe for listeners who don't know, uh, what can you tell us about this disease? What is it? What causes it? How does it affect people? Is there a cure? So uh, 100,000 Americans have sickle cell disease, millions globally. It's a blood disease that you're born with. You don't catch it. Uh, the, the blood cells are sticky, they can't get through circulation well, they cause blockages, and this gives rise to the pain, the debilitating pain that Jordan was describing that the storytellers um, convey in, in our campaign on Generation S. Um, and I think what people need to know is that uh, there are a lot of people living with sickle cell disease that might be uh, in their communities, in their schools, in their churches, their places of worship, and even in their families, mm-hmm. and they may not even know. So I agree with Jordan. We need to open the dialogue. I really hope you will um, spread the word about our PSA yes. um, and have people go to joingens.com to learn more. Amen. Thank you both so much for what you're doing. Keep up the great fight. Such an honor and pleasure to talk with you. Thank, Thank you. you so Thank much. You. Thank you, guys. Very cool. There is KXL's Jacob Dean with Jordan Sparks and Dr. Ann DeMariam on the work that is being done to raise awareness about the battle against sickle cell disease. And we have posted a video and more on this at KXL.com. You have been listening to Beyond the Headlines, a behind-the-scenes look at some of this week's stories. You can follow me on Twitter at Brett Recamp. And if you missed anything, the podcast is up right now at KXL.com. You can also download the show on iTunes or Google Play. Just look for Beyond the Headlines, KXL. Now 286 shows to choose from. I'm Brett Recamp on FM News 101. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Headlines, in-depth interviews on topics of concern here in Portland and the Northwest. This has been a special presentation of Alpha Media.